You have the assistance of a personal representative at this hearing. Your assigned personal representative is present. You may present evidence to this tribunal, including the testimony of witnesses who are reasonably available and whose testimony is relevant to this hearing. You may question witnesses testifying at this tribunal. You may examine documents or statements offered into evidence other than classified information. However, certain documents may be partially masked for security reasons. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, do you understand this process? Yes. And if I have a question, can I ask you? Yes, you may. About the testimony which I asked about the witnesses? Yes. I'm going to address the witnesses shortly, so if you'll bear with us, I'll take that up. We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. The problem with America is not that we go around marauding around the world imposing ourselves. The problem with America in the last 10, 15 years since the end of the Cold War, really in the last 60 years, is that we've been too slow to get involved. I don't know how many Iraqi civilians were killed, but I can assure you that the number is the absolute minimal that it's possible in modern warfare. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. That land over there is yours. You'll go back to it one day because your fight will prevail and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Welcome to the Darkened Hour. Welcome to another episode of the Darkened Hour. I'm your host, Adam Fitzgerald. Today's episode will be about the capture and rendition of the alleged 9-11 mastermind and the planner and organizer of the Bajinka plot, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. I'll be reading from a number of different primary sources, such as the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence and from the website, The Rendition Project, about the current profile of Guantanamo Bay prisoner number 45, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. His aliases are Mukhtar, Mukhtar al-Baluchi, Muk, Abdurrahman, Abdullah al-Ghamdi, Salim Ali, The Brain, Ashraf Rafat, Nabahen, Khalid Abdul Wadud, Fad bin Abdullah bin Khalid, Abdullah Fakizul Gamdi, and 26 other aliases. He entered CIA custody on March 3rd, 2003, and has been there in approximately 1,280 days, where he left CIA custody on September 5th, 2006. He was held at a number of CIA black sites, including Pakistan, Afghanistan, Kobol site, Poland, detention site Blue, Romania, detention site Black, Lithuania, detention site Violet, Afghanistan, detention site Brown, and finally, currently detained in Guantanamo Bay. He's one of the biggest catches in the war on terror, 
Pakistani authorities have finally found Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Information Minister Sheikh Rashid Ahmed said the hunt was a long one. The agencies were looking for him after a long time, but they were, he always escaped and today he catch early morning he'd been arrested. A joint Pakistani-U.S. operation led to Mohammed's arrest. Authorities believe he's the mastermind behind the September the 11th terrorist attacks. He's also allegedly al-Qaeda's third most senior operative after Osama bin Laden and Ayman al-Zahwari. Mohammed's on the FBI's most wanted list. He's thought to be already in the custody of U.S. officials. He was arrested with two others, a man of Middle Eastern origin and Pakistani Ahmed Abdul Qadus. Kadus's sister said police officers broke the locks, pushed her relatives and children into a room at gunpoint. My brother, he went out and, and they took him away and my, my sister-in-law didn't see him at all. And he was sick. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is a Pakistani national who was uh, captured in a joint raid by the CIA and Pakistani intelligence on March 1st, 2003. He had spent three and a half years in secret CIA detention centers before being transferred to Guantanamo Bay on September of 2006, where he's still being held as a high-value detainee. Now, Khalid Sheikh Mahabu was subject to a range of enhanced interrogation techniques, also known as torture, because that's what it is, while he was in CIA black sites, including almost 200 uses of the waterboard. And U.S. authorities claimed that he's a senior al-Qaeda recruiter, financier, and operational planner for al-Qaeda's global terrorist network, and he's also the self-described head of the Al-Qaeda's military committee after the death of Mohammed Atef by U.S. drone strikes in Afghanistan in 2001. In 2008, he was one of five detainees charged with conspiracy in relation to the 9-11 attacks, and he's personally charged with masterminding the entire operation. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was actually captured by the CIA in Pakistan Inter-Services Intelligence Directorate, also known as the ISI, in Rawalpindi, Pakistan, on March 1st, 2003. And he's captured alongside Mustafa al-Hausawi, one of the five that's being charged with conspiracy, Ahmed Abdul Qadus, and an unidentified Saudi national. And... Uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed had testified that he was immediately transferred into U.S. custody and was held for between, I think, two or three days in Rawal Pindi. And it was during this time he said that he was questioned by a CIA case officer who uh, happened to punch him several times in the stomach, in the chest and face, and threw him on the floor and even stood on his face. Uh, he was also denied sleep throughout his detention in Pakistan. And by the way, this account is confirmed by CIA records cited in the Senate Select Committee Intelligence Report, which I'm going to be reading uh, a couple of things regarding Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, uh, which document that he was interrogated by CIA officers and Pakistani officials while in Pakistani custody and subjected to sleep deprivation 
but there are no indications of other coercive interrogation techniques being used, as per the report says. Anticipating Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's transfer to CIA custody in Afghanistan, the chief of interrogations at the CIA-run detention site, Cobalt, sent an email to headquarters on March 1st, 2003, with the subject, let's roll with the new guy, requesting authorization to use enhanced interrogation techniques. So right off the bat, the CIA was going to torture Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. They weren't even going to wait if he was going to be compliant. They were just going to torture him. This whole notion of the enhanced interrogation techniques has ruined any chance for a trial for the five people that are being held in Guantanamo Bay charged for the 9-11 attacks. One of them, Ramzi bin al-Sheib, has been declared mentally unfit. And he was waterboarded 83 times. These interrogation techniques were approved two days before Muhammad was even transferred to Cobalt. And once he was in CIA custody, which CIA records show was at some point between March 3rd and March 5th of 2003, According to the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Report, the use of the enhanced interrogation techniques began immediately. And he was subjected to facial and abdominal slaps, a facial grab, stress positions, standing sleep deprivation with his hands at or above head level, nudity, and water dousing. The CIA chief of interrogations also ordered the use of rectal rehydration without identifying medical need, but it was done to assert total control over the detainee. That's what it was there for, to shame him and dominate him. And Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's own testimony about his treatment in Afghanistan, where he says he was held for about three days, closely matches the account provided by CIA records. Now, I'm going to be reading from the International Committee of the Red Cross, who visited Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And this is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's account of rendition to and torture in Afghanistan at detention site Cobalt. During the transfer from Pakistan to Afghanistan, my eyes were covered with a cloth tied around my head and with a cloth bag pulled over it. A suppository was inserted into my rectum. I was not told what the suppository was for. I was dressed in a shalwar kameez, shackled hands and feet, and put sitting in a vehicle for the journey to the airport. I was then put in a sitting position on a plane. The transfer was okay, with no particular problems to report. The flight was short, only about one hour. I arrived at night. The transfer from the plane to the place of detention took about 15 to 20 minutes. During my time in this place, I could hear planes taking off and landing. I think the place was Bagram Air Force Base. After arrival, my clothes were cut off of me. The bag and blindfold were removed and photographs were taken of me naked. 
I remained naked throughout the three days I stayed in this place of detention. I was checked by a doctor and asked about my medical history. I told the doctor about the pain I was still suffering from the beating in Pakistan. I was then placed in a cell about two meters by four meters naked, where I was kept in a standing position with my hands cupped and chained to a bar above my head. My feet were flat on the floor. At first, I was questioned for about one hour with no forms of ill treatment. After about one hour, I was taken to another room where I was made to stand on tiptoes for about two hours during questioning. Approximately 13 people were in the room. These included the head interrogator, two female interrogators, plus about 10 muscle guys wearing masks. I think they were all Americans. From time to time, one of the muscle guys would punch me in the chest and stomach. This was repeated during two nights. Also during this period, I was on, a four, I was on four occasions taken to a separate room from the main interrogation room. Here, cold water from buckets was thrown onto me for about 40 minutes. Not constantly, as it took time to refill the buckets. After which, I would be taken back to the interrogation room. On one occasion during interrogation, I was offered water to drink. When I refused, I was taken to another room where I was made to lie on the floor with three people holding me down. A tube was inserted into my anus and water poured inside me. Afterwards, I wanted to go to the toilet as I had the feeling as if of diarrhea. No toilet access was provided until four hours later when I was given a bucket to use. Whenever I was returned to my cell, I was always kept in the standing position with my hands cuffed and chained to a bar above my head. Music was always playing in the corridor outside my cell but it was not very loud. During Muhammad's torture at detention site Cobalt, he provided fabricated and information uh, that was also fabricated. Uh, fabri he provided fabricated information, I'm sorry, uh, that led to his uh, capture of people that were innocent, like Saeed Habib and Shaista Khan. He was then transferred out of Cobalt on March 7, 2003 and rendered to Poland. He describes being dressed in a tracksuit and having his eyes and head covered as before, but this time with earphones playing music placed above his ears as well. He traveled for about 10 minutes by vehicle before being placed on an aircraft and seated in a high chair, tilted back with his hands and ankles shackled. He slept for the first time in five days during the flight. He doesn't know how long the journey lasted, but remembers the transfer after landing taking about an hour. Mohammed thought that the destination was Poland. And he is said, I quote, I think this because on one occasion a water bottle was brought to me without the label removed. It had email address ending in PL. The central heating system was an old-style one that I would expect only to see in countries of the former communist system, end quote. Now, this is confirmed by CI records cited by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Report, which does document his arrival 
at the CIA-run detention site Blue at 6 p.m. in March of 2003. And it was from here that the torture of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed continued. And it was done by the CIA and CIA interrogator. The CIA officer in charge of interrogations after 9-11 is speaking for the very first time. In a 60 Minutes interview, Jose Rodriguez of Puerto Rico tells Leslie Stahl about waterboarding the man who planned 9-11. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was strapped to a board, tilted head down, a cloth placed over his face, and water poured over his mouth to give the sensation of drowning. But Rodriguez tells Stahl that Mohammed was tough, they had to pour the water more than 180 times. This is an individual who probably didn't give a rat's ass about having water poured on his face. He never believed for one second you were going to kill him. No. And let me just tell you, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed would use his fingers to count the number of seconds because he knew that in all likelihood we would stop at 10. So this, this doesn't sound like a person <laughs> who is afraid of dying. If he's sitting there counting off, uh, he knows you're not going to kill him, he knows he's not going to drown, then why do it? What's the point? I think that the cumulative effect of waterboarding and sleep deprivation and everything else that was done eventually uh, got to him. So what happens? Does he break down? Does he weep? Does he fall apart? No. Uh, he gets a good night's sleep. Uh, he gets his insurer. By the way, he was uh, very heavy when he came to us and uh, he lost 50 pounds. What, so. his insure? You mean like people in the hospital who drink that stuff? Yes. Dietary manipulation was part of the snark techniques. So sleep deprivation, dietary manipulation, I mean this is Orwellian stuff. The United States... And it didn't stop there. According to the Senate Select Committee report, the CIA transfers College Sheikh Mohammed to detention site blue and anticipated the use of the waterboard prior to his arrival. And according to the Senate Select Committee report, within hours of College Sheikh Mohammed's capture, Alex Station successfully argued that CIA contractors Swigert and Dunbar, also known as James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen, the architects of the SEER program used in the enhanced interrogation techniques of all the detainees that they should take over the interrogation of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and that the CIA headquarters approved of this plan between Swigert and Dunbar. Flight data obtained by the rendition project uh, demonstrates that Khalid Sheikh Mahmoud was rendered to Poland on board the CIA-owned Gulfstream 5 jet with tail number N379P, and that this aircraft flew between Afghanistan and Poland on March 7, 2003, filing a dumbest flight plan to disguise its true destination, which is a characteristic of rendition flights into and out of Europe. It was at the CIA black site 
stare kajukti that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was subjected to what he describes as the most intense interrogation, which he says was led by three experienced CIA interrogators who he referred to as the emirs for their proficiency at torture and their aggressiveness. His cell was about three meters by four meters with wooden walls and cameras. He thinks that the cell was underground and that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed claimed that he was interrogated initially for about eight hours per day, reduced to about four hours per day after the first month and was subjected to a range of torture techniques. And again, I'll be reading his testimony from the International Center of Red Cross regarding Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's account of torture while in Poland. As the interrogation again resumed, I was told by one of the emirs that they had received the green light from Washington to give him a hard time. They never used the word torture and never referred to physical pressure only to a hard time. I was never threatened with death. In fact, I was told that they would not allow me to die, but that I would be brought to the verge of death and back again. Apart from when I was taken for interrogation to another room, I was kept for one month in this cell in a standing position with my hands cuffed and shackled above my head and my feet cuffed and shackled to a point in the floor. Of course, during this month, I fell asleep on some occasions while still being held in this position. This resulted in all my weight being applied to the handcuffs around my wrist, resulting in open and bleeding wounds. The cuffs around my ankles also created open bleeding wounds. Both my feet became very swollen after one month of almost continually standing. For the interrogation, I was taken to a separate room. The number of people present varied greatly from one day to another. Other interrogators, including women, were also sometimes present along with the emirs. A doctor would also usually be present. If I was perceived not to be cooperating, I would be put against a wall and punched and slapped in the body, head and face. I think flexible plastic collars would also be placed around my neck so that it would be held at the two ends by a guard who would use it to slam me repeatedly against the wall. The beatings were combined with the use of cold water, which was poured over me during a with a hose pipe. The beatings and use of cold water occurred on a daily basis during the first month. In addition, I was subjected to waterboarding on five occasions, all of which occurred during the first month. I would be strapped to a special bed which could be rotated into a vertical position. A cloth would be placed over my face. Cold water from a bottle that had been kept in a fridge was then poured into the cloth by one of the guards so I could not breathe. This obviously could be done for about one to two minutes at a time. The cloth was then removed and the bed was put in a vertical position. The whole process was then repeated about one hour. Injuries to wrists and ankles also occurred during the waterboarding as I struggled in the panic of not being able to breathe. Female interrogators were present during this form of ill treatment, and a doctor was always present, 
standing out of sight behind the head of the bed. But I saw him when he came to fix a clip to my finger, which was connected to a machine. I think it was to measure my pulse and oxygen content in my blood so they could take me to a breaking point. After each session of torture, I was put into a cell where I was allowed to lie on the floor so I could sleep for a few minutes. However, due to shackles on my ankles and wrists, I was never able to sleep very well. The harshest period of interrogation was just prior to the end of the first month. The beatings became worse and I was cold. I had cold water directed at me from a hose pipe by guards while I was still in my cell. The worst day was when I was beaten for about a half hour by one of the interrogators. My head was banged against the wall so hard it started to bleed. Cold water was poured over my head as well. This was then repeated with other interrogators. Finally, I was taken for a session of waterboarding. The torture on that day was finally stopped by the intervention of the doctor. I was allowed to sleep for about one hour and then put back in my cell, standing with my hands shackled above my head. During the harshest period of my interrogation, I gave a lot of false information in order to satisfy what I believed the interrogators wished to hear in order to make the ill treatment stop. Throughout that first month, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed says that he was given food on just two occasions. The rest of the time, he was given ensure to drink about every four hours. If he refused to drink, he was forcibly poured down his throat. He was then forbidden from cleaning himself after using the toilet bucket throughout the first month, and he remained naked the entire time and was subjected to artificial light and music 24 hours a day. Meanwhile, the Office of the Medical Services completed draft guidelines on the use of the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques, specifically addressing the waterboard interrogation technique. And while he was given these false statements, the United States decided to charge him for the events of September 11, 2001, under the pretext of these charges. So today, I am referring to cases of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Walid Mohammed bin Atash, Ramzi bin Al-Sheed, Ali Abdul Aziz Ali, and Mustafa Ahmed Hawasawi to the Department of Defense to proceed in military commissions. Furthermore, I have directed prosecutors to move to dismiss the indictment that was handed down under seal in the Southern District of New York in December of 2009, and a judge has granted that motion. Let me be clear, and let me be very clear. Our national security demands that we continue to prosecute terrorists in federal courts, and we will do so. Our heritage, our values, and our legacy to future generations also demands that we have full faith and confidence in a court system that has distinguished this nation throughout its history. Sadly, this case has been marked by needless, needless controversy since the beginning. But despite all the arguments and debate that it has engendered, the prosecution of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and his co-conspirators should never have been about settling ideological arguments or scoring political points. 
at the end of our indictment appear the names of 2,976 people who were killed in the attacks on that deadly September day nearly 10 years ago. Innocent Americans and citizens of foreign countries alike who were murdered by ruthless terrorists intent on crippling our nation and attacking the values that we hold dear. This case has always been about delivering justice for those victims and for their surviving loved ones. Now, according to the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Report, the um, sessions regarding Khalid Sheikh Mohammed continued. And on March 12, 2003, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed provided information on the Heathrow Airport and Cannery Wharf plotting. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed stated that he showed a sketch in his notebook of a building in Canary Wharf, which is a major business district in London, to Amr al-Baluchi, who is his nephew. He also provided statements about directing prospective pilots to study at flight schools and stated that Jafar al-Tayyar was involved in the Heathrow plot. However, according to the report, which I'm reading from, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed retracted all of this information later in his detention. There are no CIA records indicating that these and other retractions were assessed to be false. The reporting by Khalid Sheikh Mohammed on March 12, 2003, regarding the Heathrow airport plotting was deemed at the time by CIA interrogators to be an effort by Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to avoid discussing plotting inside the United States. And he was, and this contributed to the decision to subject Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to two waterboarding sessions that day. And during these sessions, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed ingested a significant amount of water in which even CIA records state that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's abdomen was somewhat distended and he expressed water when the abdomen was pressed. That's how much water he ingested. In fact, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's gastric contents were so diluted by water that the medical officer present was not concerned about regurgitated gastric acid damaging Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's esophagus. The officer was, however, concerned about water intoxication and dilution of electrolytes and requested that the interrogators use saline in future waterboarding sessions. The medical officer later wrote to the Office of the Medical Services that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was ingesting and aspirating a lot of water. And that in the new technique, we are basically doing a series of near drownings. During the day, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was also subjected to the intention grasp, the insult slap, abdominal slap, and walling. On March 13, 2003, according to the Senate Select Committee report after Khalid Sheikh Mohammed again denied that Al-Qaeda had operations planned for inside the United States. 
CIA interrogators decided on a day of intensive waterboarding sessions. CIA records cited by the Senate Select Committee report confirmed in great detail Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was tortured while in detention site blue in anticipation of his eventual arrival at the site. On March 10th, 2003, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was subject to the first of 15 separate waterboarding sessions in which CIA records noted that taken together, these sessions saw the technique applied at least 183 times. Citing CIA cables and interviews conducted during their investigation, the Senate Select Committee Intelligence Report documents in vivid detail the extent of the torture to which Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was subjected. During one session on March 12, 2003, CIA records state that Muhammad's abdomen was again distorted. And that CIA medical staff ignored this large ingestion of water for the next two days. Now, the frequent use of waterboarding and its failure to provide reliable intelligence. And that's coming from the Senate Select Committee report in which it concluded that no actionable intelligence came from the use of the enhanced interrogation techniques from any of the detainees in which the CIA would later write in their own report contradictory to the Senate Select report that, yes, actionable intelligence was taken from the use of torture, in which, right now, that's being debated in the pretrial hearings, which they're having a hard time on because everything that was elicited from torture cannot be used in court. So the five detainees that were alleged to have plotted, financed, and given logistical support for the September 11, 2001 hijackings and terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Ramzi bin al-Shib, Amr al-Baluchi, Mustafa al-Hasawi, and Taufik bin Atash, also known as Khalad. All of their admissions came from the use of torture. And this is a big problem because even if they were telling the truth that they plotted 9-11, how can one basically believe that? Because it came from the elicitation of torture. And that even if they were lying, we wouldn't know that they were definitively lying unless we took that intelligence and vetted it to be, if it was legitimate, 
or stopped an actual project from happening. So it leads you in a state of paralysis. You don't know what to believe. You don't know what to disbelieve. Meanwhile, there's no trial. So we don't know what evidence the prosecution has. And if there is a plea deal taken, the evidence that the government had or didn't have, we will not know until 30 or 40 years down the road when information is declassified. The stuff that they don't have will be the ones that are filling in the blanks later on. And some of these torture methods didn't even make sense or were just outright ridiculous. Now, during one session at detention site Blue, CIA officers hung a picture of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's sons in his cell, which was a move that aimed to heighten his imagination concerning where they are, who has them, and ultimately what's in store for them. They threatened to rape his mother. And according to Rendition Project, on March 24, 2003, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed underwent his 15th and final documented waterboarding session in which CIA cables described him as composed, stoic, and resigned. I'm willing to say that it was the exact opposite of what the CIA described him as. But that didn't stop federal authorities from piling on more charges on Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. The alleged mastermind of the 9-11 attack says he wants the death sentence. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is being held at the Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba on war crime charges. During his arraignment Thursday, he was told that he could face the death penalty if he's convicted. He responded by saying that's exactly what he was wishing for, so he could, quote, be a martyr for a long time, unquote. Mohammed was captured in Pakistan in 2003 and was held by the CIA at secret sites until he was transferred to Guantanamo in 2006. Thursday was his first appearance before a war crimes tribunal, and four other alleged terrorists appeared with him. It's not clear when their trials will start. Rita Foley, The Associated Press. And so you won't know when a trial will begin because the government and the CIA know that the information that they garnered from torture cannot be used in a trial. On September 22, 2003, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the other detainees still held in Poland were transferred out of the country on board the CIA-owned Boeing 737 with tail number N313P. The aircraft flew a disguised flight direct to Bucharest, Romania, where some of the detainees, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, were offloaded. Others remained on the aircraft which then flew 
another disguised flight to Morocco to pick up further detainees and then to Guantanamo Bay. One of them was Mohammed Aoud Slahi, who I personally interviewed. And after Morocco, they were then sent to Guantanamo Bay to deliver them to a secret detention there. Now, nothing much is known about Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's time in Romania. However, CIA cables, which were cited by the Senate Select Committee Intelligence Report, confirmed that he was in detention site Black in November of 2003, but it didn't provide any detail about his treatment at the site. Now, the Council of Europe's 2012 investigation into the prison in that country found that detainees who had been moved from Poland in September 2003 had, uh, by, by that time, been considered to have lower intelligence value after several months in CIA detention. And that this set of detainees, this core, and according to the report, were less likely to have been subjected to the enhanced interrogation techniques while in Romania. But that wasn't the case for the high-value high detainees, such as Abu Faraj al-Libi, and Janat Gul, who both were captured during 2004 and taken directly to Romania for the enhanced interrogation techniques. Abu Faraj al-Libi, for those who don't know, was the one who gave false information to Egyptian authorities under the CIA, which started the Iraq war. The Senate Select Committee report provided details of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed after his detention at Detention Site Black, stating that he was transferred to Detention Site Redaction in 2005 to Detention Site Brown in March of 2006, and then to Guantanamo Bay on, on September 5th, 2006. Through analysis of, of redaction lengths, it appears that the redaction site name is, in fact, detention site Violet, which was the CIA-run secret prison in Lithuania, where Abu Zubeda was held, the first alleged al-Qaeda detainee captured in Pakistan, captured in the world. Later on, during his tribunal hearing in 2006, the CIA had to admit that Abu Zubaydah was not a fighter in Al-Qaeda, nor was he Al-Qaeda. So there's no charges against Abu Zubaydah. However, because the United States doesn't operate legally, the federal government decided that he is a high-risk detainee and he is held as an indefinite detention prisoner. 
In November of 2001, White House counsel led by John Yu, Alberto Gonzalez in Attenborough, David Attenborough, drafted legislation that would circumvent the Geneva Convention for foreign detainees, stripping them of their right to have a lawyer, to see the evidence, and to be held indefinitely without charge. Nothing is known about Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's treatment in Lithuania. He was held at the site for over about five months before his rendition to detention site Brown in Afghanistan in March of 2006. Now, again, flight data held by the rendition project, which I'm reading from, did confirm a circuit of two rendition aircraft between March 25th and March 26th of 2006, according to rendition project, that connected Lithuania to Afghanistan. Now, this circuit, the only one identified thus this far out during his time in Lithuania, involved a flight from Palanga, Lithuania, to Cairo, Egypt, by an aircraft with registration number N733MA. And once on the ground in Cairo, Egypt, the aircraft met with a second plane with registration number N740EH, which then flew to Kabul in Afghanistan. Again, nothing is known about Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's treatment during his second period of detention in Afghanistan. However, CI records showed that he was transferred out of the CIA secret prison network and finally into U.S. military detention in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba on September 5th, 2006, after three and a half years in CIA secret detention. The amount of torture that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed went through was ridiculous. The Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Report even went into much more minute detail regarding Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's time at the CIA black sites. The final transfer of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was announced even by President Bush as part of a wider disclosure about the CIA's use of secret prisons, which later came out through a New York Times report that broke the story about what the CIA was doing. Now, if the CIA felt that they were justified in doing what they did, they wouldn't need to keep it under wraps. But they didn't want the public to know that they were torturing these people because we would be against it because we need evidence to charge these people through the legal means. This is the reason why they were not charged in the Southern District of New York, which is what the FBI wanted. Instead, they were sent to Guantanamo Bay Prison and to CIA black sites because they could get to control the detainees away from the Department of Justice 
and get to elicit information by any means necessary. So in other words, the CIA screwed up everything. And I don't, I don't think people get the full understanding of just how disastrous the Central Intelligence Agency was during this whole process. And George Tenet, the, the DCI, along with his replacement, Michael Hayden, who was the former director of the NSA, both of them share a lot of blame here. Bruce Jessen, James Mitchell, the author, the architects of the SEER program that was used in these enhanced interrogation technique sessions. They're disgusting people. But to their arrogance, they contend that what they did was right. Meanwhile, the victims' families represented by Creedley and Creedler and Molly Rice are waiting for a trial that cannot happen because there is no evidence to charge these people because it came from the elicitation of torture. Now, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed remains detained in Guantanamo Bay where he's been charged with conspiracy in relation to the 9-11 attacks and is facing a potential military trial with the aforementioned Mustafa Ahmed al-Hassawi, Omar al-Baluchi, and Wali bin Atash. Ramzi bin al-Shib, mentally incompetent, can't, is not facing trial. Now, his lawyers, his own lawyers, have made a submission to the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture to initiate an inquiry into his torture because they know and they're salivating at the prospect of having his, cli his client found not guilty because of forced resignation of the charges that he's being charged with and that the information cannot be used against him. Incredible. And I think this is the real reason why the trial is not started. And I've spoken to former intelligence officials over the years on my podcast. And they, they happen to have a unilateral agreement that none of these people will ever see trial and that the federal government, now this is recent, the Biden administration is trying to work a deal in taking the death penalty off the table and that in return, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the other three would plead guilty to all the charges. If this happens, whatever evidence the government has and whatever it doesn't have, we will not know. This will be an unmitigated disaster. And no justice will be found. And so, in closing, I'll be playing a very rare clip of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's 
tribunal hearing, which took place in March 16th of 2007, in which this six-minute clip offers very rare audio of the man that is being charged with the 9-11 attacks. First was the request for Ramzi bin Alshib the proffer of the testimony from the detainee was that Ramsey is alleged to have been present during the Al Jazeera interview in June of 2002, during which uh, it is said the detainee claimed to be the head of Al-Qaeda's military committee. The detainee claims he never stated that to be the head of the military committee during that interview and states that Ramsey, uh, if called, can confirm this. This witness is not relevant in the president's view for the following reasons. In the totality of the circumstances and given the nature and quality of the other unclassified evidence, the detainee's alleged statements as reported in Al Jazeera is of limited value and negligible relevancy to the issue of combatant status. As such, any corroboration or contradiction by the proffered witness is not relevant. The credibility determinations of, with regard to R3 which is the Al Jazeera article, can be made by the tribunal without the proffered testimony. As such, the detainee's request for the production of that witness is denied. As to the request for Mustafa Hassawi, uh, it was proffered that Hassawi, if called, would testify that the computer and hard drive referenced in the unclassified summary was not this detainee's property and that the place of the detainee's capture was not the house of the detainee. In the President's view, this testimony is not relevant to the issues regarding the detainee's capture or his combatant status for the following reasons. Whether this detainee had actual legal title or ownership of the computer and hard drive, or the house where the capture took place, is irrelevant to the determination of the detainee's status as an enemy combatant. Based on the proffer, if true, Asawi's testimony will not provide relevant information. The issue of ownership, while of some interest, is, of, is not relevant to status. What is relevant is possession, usage, connection, and presence. Asawi's testimony will not speak to any relevant information in regard to such points. As such, the request for the production of that witness is denied. If you'd like to respond to that, I'll hear you. Most of these facts which have been written are related to this hard drive. And uh, more than 11 of these facts related to this, this computer. And the other things are, which is very old, even nobody can bring any witnesses for that. And as you written here, if it will be, uh, if it will be available for you, for the witnesses nearby, you will do it. This computer is not for me, for Hasawi himself. That's why I'm saying I need Hasawi, because, because me and him, we both been arrested the same day, same raid. 
so this computer it was for him from long time and also the problem is we are not in the court and we are not judge and he's not my lawyer but the procedure has been written and reporter and the way are as mostly as uh, certain as charges against me to him so the only accusations so accusations and these accusations they are they are as you put for yourself uh, a definition for the, any compactant there are also many definitions for the accusation or facts or charges which be written for the for any the uh, uh, the person is accused so if i mean accused then if you want to put facts against me also the definition for this fact if you now read number n now what is written the Pachinka plot is known as Manila Air Investigation it is not related to any facts to be against me so when I said computer hard drive and hard disk same thing all these points only one witness he can say yes or not because his he, uh, this computer is under his position, him computer. And also, specifically, if we say Muhammad Atta picture being this hard drive, I don't think so to be accepted because there are many hundred thousand of Americans they have Muhammad Atta picture in their computer. You cannot say, I find Muhammad Atta's picture in your computer, then we use this fact against you. Or you find any files in your computer to be what about if I said it's my, it's not my computer? If, if this uh, witness he will state that this knob and him, that means 90% of his witness is wrong. And for Ramzi, for reporter and Jazeera, he claimed that I state this one. And you know the media man how they are fashioning what they need in their own way, in the Hollywood, Hollywood, I mean Hollywood film way. They just wrote it. So he said, I stated, but I never stated, and I don't have any witnesses, and witnesses are available here when they go to Amu, he is detaining, he was with me, which uh, he been mostly in the whole my interview with him, me and they were, we was three person, me and Ramzi and this reporter. So uh, if, uh, if you not believe me, not believe him, believe my witness, Ramzi, then his, uh, what he stated, the reporter most is false and uh, uh, I'm not denying that uh, I'm not any compassion about this world but I'm denying that the report is not being written in the proper way which is really facts and mostly just being gathered many information general information they form it in the way of you to, to be used as a fact That's the end of this episode. I am your host, Adam Fitzgerald. Thank you for listening in.